Fantasy is a natural human activity. It does not destroy or even insult reason. For creative fantasy is founded on a recognition effect, but not a slavery to it. From an essay on fairy stories by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Nicholas Kotar, author of fantasy inspired by Slavic fairy tales and seeker after the good, the true, and the beautiful. You're listening to Fantasy for Our Time. In this podcast, I discuss classic and new fantasy media, have long and involved conversations with authors and storytellers, and explore how stories can help us all live a better, more fulfilling life. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to episode 20 of the podcast. In an age of information overload, we need more than ever to find someone to help us make sense of it all. But there are self-proclaimed experts, life coaches, and just plain hucksters everywhere, so what are we to do? Well, maybe we just need to take a page out of Russian fairy tales. You knew I would say that, right? Just as Ivan the Prince found his frog princess in a swamp, our answers just might be found in the place we least expect. In today's episode, I talk about expert fatigue, about our desire to optimize everything and how it might be impacting our lives negatively, and how stories teach us the proper way of working on ourselves, so that when the mentor we need does show up, we're ready to listen. Today's show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. They are the backbone of my work. They inspire me and keep me creating. If you'd like to support this show, you can join for $2 a month. That's it. I love to give special gifts to my patrons, including a new and exclusive novella, which will go out next week. Visit patreon.com forward slash Nicholas Kotar to find out more. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd be very grateful if you left a rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. It does help other people discover this podcast. Thank you for those who have already done so. And now, on to today's show. And today, uh, I am... Last week, actually, I, I started to talk about how the character of Aragorn from The Lord of the Rings is not only an excellent model of heroism and just a lovely guy. Not the, not the movie version. The movie version is not a lovely guy. I don't like the movie version. Um, even though Viggo Mortensen's a fantastic actor, I will not say anything against Viggo Mortensen. He's wonderful. But the way that they wrote the character was lame. If you want to hear the rant, or one of many, uh, I have a video on my YouTube channel, uh, which is about Aragorn. Uh, you can check it out and see my longer rant about Boromir, etc., etc. <clears throat> but it turns out that Aragorn is also a very, very good example for us now in post-COVID reality of how to lean into unexpected difficulties to start living a deeper, more resilient, more courageous, and just plain better life. Last week, I even went so far as to outline seven specific steps how to achieve this deeper life. And I'm going to be doing this for the next uh, seven weeks. So today is, the, is week one of a new series I'm doing where I'm taking those seven steps that I extrapolated from the life of Aragorn and Arwen in Appendix A of The Lord of the Rings and applied it to how can we actually do this reset, this thing that all of us, that many of us want to do uh, in the wake of COVID, where we want to throw away the things that aren't as necessary and really lean into lean into the things that matter uh, so that we don't react in the same way that so many of us did when COVID first happened, with fear and with panic, 
or with simple denial, as some of us are still reacting, unfortunately. Now, I have been making the point repeatedly in my videos, so forgive me if you have heard me say this before, but fairy tales, stories in general and fairy tales in particular, are really excellent resources for living a nice and deep and satisfying life. Because they're treasure chests, aren't they? They're repositories of ancient folk wisdom that have been gathering not dust and mothballs, but wisdom as they're being retold again and again for a new generation. These stories have been with us in some cases for thousands of years and largely informed they go unchanged throughout the centuries. So there's something there that's quite profound. And the deeper we go into it, the more we realize, I think, that there's a lot of really good, useful stuff that you will not read in Fox News or MSNBC or even the New York Times, unfortunately, uh, especially of late. So with that in mind, I wanted to start this new series, which I'm calling Resilience and Courage Through Story, uh, using Aragorn's life as a backdrop, um, uh, by starting with the first step, which is finding a mentor. So... We all recognize the trope of the mentor figure uh, in the fig in the hero's journey, right? I mean, Luke Skywalker is the most obvious one, the one that's quoted probably more than everything else. He needs both Obi-Wan and Yoda in order to reach his potential as a Jedi. Frodo needs a mentor figure too. He needs Gandalf to awaken, to awaken him up to the reality of his danger. And he also needs him to lead him along the first stage of the journey before he falls to the Balrog. And in fact, uh, Frodo's life is almost in the balance. And uh, Gandalf's absence, especially in the first part of the uh, quest, almost costs the entire world the world because the mentor is such a necessary figure, right? And in my own novel, uh, the first novel in my Raven Sun series, The Song of the Siren, the pronounced lack of a mentor figure for my main character, Voron, causes him to fail in rather pitiful fashion at the very first sign of trouble. Those of you who have read the book know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, read the book. But surely you might say, all oh, that's good enough for fairy tales, for stories, and for movies. Yes, Jason, you are absolutely right. And of course, Bilbo would be an excellent example as well. Probably even more than Frodo. Um, yeah. Surely, we that's all that mentor stuff is good for stories. Do we really need mentors in, in everyday life? Are we in daily, constant need of mentorship? Well, let me paint a picture for you. Did you hear that story about that poor, unfortunate man who, soon after COVID hit, walked into a... Um, who walked into a grocery store? He walked in. And he stopped at the threshold, unable to move forward. He looked right, he looked left, frozen in indecision. He simply stood there until someone came up to him and asked him what the problem was. And he goes, there are no arrows on the floor. I don't know where to go. Now, <clears throat> other than lamenting the sad patheticness of a person who is unable to figure out where to go without arrows, what I'm trying to get to here is this interesting reality 
that I think you're going to notice more and more, and you probably have noticed without me even telling you, of our strange desire to optimize everything in our lives based on the recommendation of experts. This thing happens in in phases of life other than COVID. For example, have you ever had this situation happen? You're sitting down with your wife or with your uh, significant other or with your kids or whoever, and you decide that you're going to watch something on Netflix or on Amazon Prime. You open it up thinking, well, I don't know what I'm going to watch today. I'm just going to let the algorithm decide what to watch for me. 25 minutes later, you've cycled through the absolute worst trash you can possibly imagine, and you haven't chosen a single thing because you keep thinking, maybe if I scroll down just a little more, I'm going to find that ideal movie that's going to fit the exact needs of this moment right now that I want right now. And you do it some more. And then eventually you close Netflix and Amazon Prime and decide... Oh, a waste of time. I'm just going to go and read a book. Of course, you do the right thing there. Congratulations. You become wise. But in the process, you have completely um, made obvious this strange and rather bizarre need that all of us, that a lot of us seem to have of subjecting our daily choices to the expertise of experts, of algorithms, of those that should know better. There's other ways we do this. When we want to find out how to do something, instead of going and asking somebody who knows how to do it, we go to Google Google, and start typing in how to and wait for the algorithm to suggest the best formulation for the question that we are asking in case we, we formulate it incorrectly and then get an incorrect answer in the first page of results in Google. We optimize everything in every aspect of life, where there is the temptation to do so, certainly, down to when we eat, when we sleep, and how much of each we do. Okay, fair enough. Except what's the problem? The problem is, the experts fail us sometimes. And what do we do when they do? We tend to go the other extreme. And we're seeing this a lot right now, especially in politics. The experts stink, and so... I'm not going to trust any experts. I'm going to trust my own darn self. And then something else happens. Something called confirmation bias. Some, a very lovely something that is only exacerbated by our habit of relating to the world through the mediation of algorithmically designed interfaces such as Facebook and YouTube. And those of us who aren't careful <laughs> subject... Uh, our experience of everyday life through an algorithm so that every day when we go to Facebook, because a lot of us get our news from Facebook, let's be honest, we start to notice that a lot of what we read corresponds exactly to what we feel should be right. That's because the algorithm picks up on what we like and what we don't like, what we spend time on, and gives us more of that so that the algorithm can then produce our clicks and our time on the site into money for those who create Facebook. A lovely waste of our very valuable time. And this happens on YouTube, on Facebook. It happens everywhere. And it happens, unfortunately, even now in interpersonal communication. When perhaps driven by the algorithm, which continues to haunt us in everyday life, we seem to be unable, more and more of us seem to be unable to have any sort of conversation with a person with whom we disagree. 
John, of course, makes a lovely point. There are experts and there are experts. A monk should probably obey their abbot. John is anticipating much of what I'm going to say today. But of course, that is because John is a reader of stories. But let me get to where I'm getting, John Simmons, before you anticipate me. So what's the alternative, though? Do we then just hang all experts and do the best that we can and find as many angry fellow biased people to confirm us in our biases but what if those biases can then become dangerous what if they start messing us up in such a way that our perception of the world becomes skewed and we begin to act like idiots and what if that acting like idiots starts to really impact our interpersonal relationships what if it begins to affect the way we actually interact with reality you're seeing this you're seeing this everywhere you're seeing this happen on either side of the um ideological, political spectrum, a lot of us are subjecting ourselves to it without even realizing it. So what's the alternative? How do we find a mentor? After all, even in COVID, and this is the really scary bit, right? Look what's going on in the medical community. Those who are supposed to be the ones leading us and showing us and telling us what to do. For months and months and months, we've heard of nothing but suppression, 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 mitigation, masks, etc 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 except and we are being led to believe by many that this is the line that the only line that should be followed and anybody who does not follow with that line including some of trump's recent uh advisors are simply peddling lies for the sake of their own self-advancement that's the line that we are being fed except as of an hour ago over 18,000 medical professionals have signed something called the great barrington declaration which is an impassioned uh declaration on the part of some extremely highly placed epidemiologists begging the establishment to reconsider their position on lockdowns and on mitigation suppression strategies. So just to show you that I'm not taking any, any position, I'm not a doctor, my point is that even in the expert community there isn't agreement. So much so that certain doctors, very, high, very highly placed ones, including Dr. John Ioannidis of Stanford Medical University, have actually had their stuff suppressed by the algorithm, oddly enough, because apparently it's no longer okay to have two opposing points of view in a room when one of those points of view, what, is dangerous? Does this, is this starting to sound like something to you? Yes, I think we should all, by the way, read Rod Dreher's new book, uh, what is it, Not to, Live, uh, Not to Live by Lies. I started reading, it's really interesting. Um, generally not uh, an altogether 100% supporter of Rod Dreher's stuff, um, but that this particular book I've started to read is pretty good. Anyway, back to what to do, whom to trust, and what to do about mentors, because the, that's the whole point of this. How can we become more courageous and more resilient without mentors? Well, we need mentors. We do. We need to find them. We need to seek them out. But how? Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Let's see if the stories can help us navigate this difficult question. How about Ivan the Prince and the Grey Wolf, which is episode one of my new podcast, In a Certain Kingdom? Ivan the Prince is going out into the wild to go and find... Live Not By Lies. Thank you, David. That's that's the one. Live Not By Lies. Uh, really interesting book. Sorry. Here we go. Recommended on my list. Anyway, Ivan the Prince is out in the wild looking for the firebird because his father wants it. Whether a long time or a short time, Ivan slept and slept. When he woke up, there was no sign of his horse. Jumping up, he went to find it. Finally, he did find it. 
There was nothing left but bones. Ivan the prince grew very sad. But what is a prince to do? He continued on foot. All day he walked, and the next day after that, tired he was, almost to death. Finally, he sat down on a log and started to weep. Out of nowhere, a gray wolf appeared before him and started to speak. Well there, Ivan the prince, why are you sitting there with your head hung so low? How can I fail to weep, gray wolf, answered the prince. I have lost my horse. Ah, that was me, Ivan, said the wolf. I was hungry, and such is the nature of the wolf. But I do feel sorry for you. Tell me, where are you going, and what are you seeking? My father sent me to ride across the wide world and to find the firebird. Ha! On your horse it would take you more than three years to find it. Only I alone know where she lives. Well, fair's fair. I ate your horse, so I will be a mount for you and serve you well. Sit on me and hold on tight. So what's the takeaway from this rather bizarre interchange between Ivan the Prince and a talking wolf? Well, the thing that I take away from this is that very often it's not you who finds the mentor. It's the mentor that finds you. No, that doesn't mean sit around and wait for him, even though it's what it seems that Ivan the Prince did. But notice what Ivan did. First, he did everything he possibly could to get to a point of total and utter exhaustion. Then he sits down and starts to weep. Now, the sitting down and weeping is a, is a symbolic gesture in stories, and it almost always indicates a complete abandonment of one's own personal desires to get the thing that is necessary, uh, whatever the quest, the goal of the quest is. And it's at that point, it's at immediately at that point, that the mentor always comes. So what does that mean for us practically? It means that without the right disposition of the heart, without paying attention to how we relate to the outside world, even if we encounter a mentor that could be helpful to us, we might not be able to take advantage of that mentor's teaching. A disposition of humility, of a lack of, de of a demand inside that everything must go exactly as I want it, of release, of acceptance of whatever comes. You need that. You need that before any mentor can show up. Because if you don't, you'll mess up, which is exactly what happens with Ivan. The Grey Wolf tells him very specifically what to do. He says, there's a tower, you climb up the tower, you climb up all the way, there's a window, in that window hangs a golden cage. In that cage sits the firebird, take the bird out of the cage, stick it in your coat, don't touch the cage. Seems super simple, right? What does Ivan the Prince do? He does this, the following. He climbed the tower, saw the window. There hung the golden cage. In the cage sat the firebird. He took the bird, put it in his coat, but his eyes lingered on the cage. His heart started to beat wildly. Oh, how golden it is. How precious. How can I not take it? And he forgot the wolf's warning. No sooner did he touch the cage than trumpets sounded, drumbeats rolled wildly, the guards woke up, seized Ivan, and led him to the king. Oops. Why did this happen? Because Ivan wasn't ready. He, he got to a point where he abandoned everything, but his heart was not yet ready to accept the teachings of the mentor. Anyone who has been in a position of a student to a teacher knows how embarrassing this sort of thing is. But, but you will also recognize how often it happens. We don't listen very well until we have to go through the difficulty of failing when we listen badly. So that's the first thing we need to remember when we're looking for a mentor. The second thing we need to remember, we can understand if we read this interesting excerpt from another fairy tale called The Flying Ship. So here's the story. 
There's an old man and an old woman. They have three sons. The first two are smart and very capable, and the third is an idiot. Uh, this is a trope, obviously. Of course, the idiot is not really an idiot, but we have to get to the end of the story to find that out. And there's a decree that goes out from the king. The king says, whoever can build me a flying ship will get to marry the princess. And the first two sons, being the smart and able lads that they are, ask their father and mother to go build the flying ship. And their father and mother go, yes, my dear boys, please go and build this lovely ship. We know you're going to succeed and come bring home the princess and we're going to be so happy for you. And so the, the they go, they stock up with a lot of alcohol and food and they go out to the forest and they start chopping down trees. Now they have no idea how to build a ship, much less the flying one. So they're chopping, they're chopping, they're making a big ruckus and suddenly an old man comes out of nowhere. And he goes, well there, fine young man, what are you doing over there chopping all those trees down? And the two young boys turn on him and say, get out of here, old man, what do you want? Or alcohol or something? Get lost. And he does. At which point, they realize they're useless at building this thing. They sit down, they have a feast, they get properly drunk, and when they wake up, they go home. And then the idiot son, in some versions of the story, his name is Ivan, in some versions of the story, he has no name. He's just called the idiot. Uh, asks his parents, can I go, please? And they go, come on, you're an idiot. You can't do this. And he goes, come on, come on, let me go. And he starts to raise a ruckus. And they go, fine, you just get out of our hair and leave us alone. He goes into the middle of the forest. He sees all the felled trees that, this, that his brothers have left. And he begins to start putting them together. Up pops the old man. And he goes, is there anything I can do for you, young man? And the idiot says, well, actually, sure. Why don't you... Uh, Come and have some food with me. You look like you're hungry or an old man. Come and, you know, share my uh, repast. And, you know, I'm going to be sitting here for a while trying to figure out this problem of how to build this thing. But, you know, in the meantime, why don't you come and eat? And the old man eats with him. They have a nice little meal. And the old man goes, you know what? I'm going to help you. Do this, do that, do that, and the other. And suddenly, the idiot builds the flying ship. And that's only the beginning of the story. The rest of the story uh, is, is, a, is one of the... One of my favorites. It's probably going to be episode eight or nine of my uh, podcast. I haven't translated it yet, but it's going to be there. And uh, the um, the end of it is, is quite fun. But what's the point of this particular story? Well, the setup is the ones that believe themselves to be intelligent end up being the fools, and the one who believes himself to be the fool ends up being intelligent. A nice, wise thing to remember sometimes. Or as Michael Hyatt said in a uh, podcast earlier this week, one of his better ones of the last few months, actually, if I have to say, he quotes, I'm not sure exactly who he quotes, but I wrote it down as, as coming from him, don't believe everything you think. Uh, and that's absolutely right. <laughs> because um, it is part of the wisdom tradition of all ancient traditions to say the following, don't trust in yourselves, don't consider yourself to be intelligent. Don't believe that you are able to govern yourself. That's the one of the foundational principles of all wisdom literature. So it's very useful to remember that we don't have the answers. But of course, that's what I've been trying to say this entire video. So what's the point? How do we find the mentor? Well, sometimes the mentors don't look the part. And so be ready to accept help from the mentor no matter what they look like, no matter in what form they come to you. And this is a kind of a subset of my first point uh, from the story of Ivan the Prince, is that the important thing is the disposition of your mind and your heart initially, so that you're ready to accept the proper uh, help of the mentor when the mentor shows up. 
And guess what? The mentor oftentimes shows up immediately at the moment when you need him. And about the mentor not looking the part, if you haven't watched uh, the movie The Island, or Ostrov as it is called in Russian, it's, an, it's a perfect example of this principle, a principle that has been shown to be true throughout the Orthodox religious tradition, especially in the lives of the saints. It's often the one who imposes foolishness on himself on purpose that is secretly hiding real wisdom. And if you haven't watched The Island, do. It's one of the best movies of all time. The third excerpt I wanted to read to you is from uh, Finist, The Feather of Finnist, The Bright Falcon, which is episode four, I believe, of my podcast. And here is what I wanted to read to you. The setup is this. There's a young woman who is in love with a falcon who is a shapeshifter. He turns into a beautiful young warrior in the evenings, and he comes and visits her in her room. The next, and uh, her sisters have are jealous. They start listening in at the keyholes, and they figure out that she has this young man over over her room every night. And they put a bunch of knives in her windowsill because they're jealous of her. The next morning, the young beauty woke up, looked around her, and realized that it was already morning. But her young beloved Phoenix, the bright falcon, didn't come to her. Then she looked at her window, and she could see sharp knives dripping with blood. For a long time, the girl cried bitter tears. For many nights straight, she could not sleep a wink, still waiting and hoping at the window of her bedroom. She threw the feather on the floor. She waved to the right. She waved to the left. It was all in vain. Finis the bright falcon didn't come, nor did he send his servants. Finally, with tears in her eyes, she came to her father and asked for his blessing. I will go, she said, wherever my eyes lead me. Someone over there needs a, needs a mentor. Um, but that's not my kid. It's my nephew, so I can't be the mentor in this case. Not possible. She ordered that three pairs of metal shoes be made for her, three metal staffs, three metal hats, and three metal loaves of bread. She put on the shoes and the hat. She took on the staff in her hand, and she went on foot in the direction where Phoenix the Bright Falcon flew away. She went and went through the dark forest. She went past the trees like columns. Her first pair of metal shoes had been completely worn through, and her hat had become a threadbare. Her first metal staff broke, and she ate an entire loaf of metal bread. But the beautiful young woman kept walking until the forest kept dark, getting darker and darker. And then she saw a hut before her on chicken feet that kept spinning around itself. The rest of the story tells us what that hut is. And of course, you probably should all know if you've listened to anything that I've said that that's Baba Yaga. Usually Baba Yaga, the hag, is a source of great trouble. But in this case, she is nothing but help to the young lady. Why? What is it about this young lady that makes her suddenly so makes the hag, the scariest uh, villainess in all of Russian fairy tales, suddenly so helpful. Well, there's a there's a bit of old wisdom in this, and that's that unlook, unlooked for help comes to those who suffer. Now, you might have seen the meme. It's making its round about the different kinds of literature. English literature, I will die for honor. French literature, I will die for love. American literature, I will die for liberty or freedom. Russian literature, I will die, period. Yes, we Russians have a tendency to put suffering on top of ourselves on purpose. So, of course, this fairy tale will bring that part out. Now, whether or not you assume the suffering, the point is that people who suffer oftentimes come out through the other side having acquired a bit of wisdom. So, do I say that we should look for suffering? Not necessarily. Not unless you're particularly brave and you want to eat a metal loaf of bread. But we can do something else. We can 
seek the wisdom that we might get through suffering through experience by reading. And that's the secret ingredient here. Even if we can't find the mentor right now that we need, even if we're looking for him or her and they don't show up, what we can do is not simply wait patiently and accept the posture of, of willing acceptance, but we can read. We can find the wisdom of the ancients. We can read the wisdom of the ancients. We can subject ourselves to their worldview completely, totally. Not like modern people subject themselves to ancient worldviews. Not in the way that Hans Georg Gadamer talks about. He's a 20th century philosopher, Austrian philosopher, who talks about the typical pose of the modern towards the ancient, which is something like sitting down at a table and writing down like this every single thing the ancient says, like Freud with his patient, and never having a conversation with the person across the table. That's not any way of healthfully interacting with points of view that we don't understand, points of view that aren't normal to us. No, take the posture of a disciple, not a skeptic. Even if you don't think it's possible, those things that they teach you, if, if they're you know too old, part of a different world, just be in them for a while. See what happens. Because some really interesting things begin to happen. You know, I was preparing for this the, uh, today's video pretty much all week, and I, you know, even as early as this morning, I had no idea what I was going to say. I had a general idea, but I didn't feel like I had the kernel of the idea that from which everything else comes. In my previous few videos, I felt very confident coming in, and I'm like, what am I going to do? I can just kind of babble on for a while, and it's not going to look very good. And why waste people's time when I don't have any expertise to offer? And just like that, I opened the book of my daily uh, Bible reading. And right now, just because I've been going through the entire Bible from uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, right now I'm reading the Proverbs. And just today, this morning, in my readings of Prover in my reading of Proverbs, there was this quote. They that have no guidance fall like leaves, but in much counsel there is safety. So I got a mentorship quote without even looking for it in the moment that I needed it. And that quote started to focus my thinking so that today I'm sitting in front of you and effectively reading from a bunch of things that I wrote down beforehand, being prepared. What am I saying? I'm saying that if, what I'm saying is this, if we take the proper pose, the pose of a humble disciple to the reading of the ancients, to the wisdom of those that came before us. Whether that's literature, whether that's wisdom literature, whether that's poetry, whether that's fairy tales, whether that's whatever, things start to happen. Now, I want to give you a specific example. Those of you who are people of faith will appreciate this probably more than those that don't, but even if you're not somebody who believes, stick through this till the end because I'll explain why it could be interesting to you as well. So this is from uh, Abba Dorotheus of Gaza, who's a 4th century monk, who writes very um, beautifully and very approachably to people of, of different walks of life. Here's what he says. He says, There came upon me once a great and unbearable sorrow, and I was in such suffering and pressure that I was ready even to give up my very soul. But this grief came from the treachery of the demons. Such a temptation which is caused by them from envy is difficult but short in duration. It's dark, heavy, without consolation, giving repose nowhere, but everywhere is a feeling of pressure. 
as I was reading this, I'm like, this is how I felt right after COVID happened. Like this exact thing, this pressure, this like, this lack of desire to do anything except sit and be crushed by this thing coming around around me from all sides. Not a very pleasant uh, place to be in. And here's how he continues it. He doesn't say, go and find a mentor. Here's what he says. It's really interesting. He says, one day when I was standing in the monastery courtyard, having grown completely faint, suddenly I looked into the church and saw a man, my appearance a bishop. I would never go near a pilgrim or somebody who was passing by without need. But something drew me to him, and so I went in after him. I saw him standing for a long time with raised hands, and I stood behind him, praying. At the end of the prayer, he turned around, he came to me, and the closer he came to me, the more I felt that the terror and fear I felt before were departing from me. Then, standing in front of me, he stretched out his hands, poked me in the chest, and said, With patience I waited patiently for the Lord, and he was attentive to me, and he hearkened to my supplication, which is a reference from Psalms. All these verses he pronounced three times, striking my chest each time, and thus he went out. Immediately after this, there settled in my heart a sweet joy. From that time on, sorrow or fear no longer troubled me. Thus also learn to conduct yourselves, not to trust in yourselves, not to believe whatever your thoughts tell you. Humility is good, because in it you will receive repose and joy. We cannot be saved by any other way than this. So even if you don't, if you're not a believer, what I will say to you is that I think you will agree that very often in times of great difficulty, in times of great need, sometimes if we assume the posture of faith, if we assume the posture of patient waiting, stuff happens, weird stuff happens. Things come together. We encounter the person, you know, from down the street that we never met, you know, that, that we never talked to. It suddenly says one thing that is exactly the thing we needed to hear. Or suddenly our, our parents call us and they say the thing that we really needed to hear. Or we see something or we hear something on the television and suddenly everything clicks into place. And we're like, wait a minute, that's exactly what I needed to hear at this exact moment. I'm sure you've all had this experience, right? Well, it's called, in the, in the popular literature, it's called synchronicity. So whether or not you think that there's providence, the fact remains. Mentors are hard to find. We should look for them, but we need to take a few steps before we can hope to find one that's going to last. And in the meantime, there are things we can do that can do the work of the mentor in cases when we feel like we have no way out. And that's important because sometimes the opposite happens. We find some expert that we think is fantastic and wonderful. It doesn't matter what sphere of life he's in. It could be business. It could be personal development. It could be, uh, it could be a spiritual leader. And we rush to him because he or her because they're popular, because they've done some flashy things, because they've said something, because they have a million followers on YouTube. And we decide this person is the person for me. We sit in front of the of the YouTube channel and just imbibe and put everything in and we think, this is great, finally I have an idea of how to live my life. And then something happens. That person turns out to be a fraud. That person turns out to be a human being who falls sick and is not seen for years at a time. You know what I'm talking about? I think you do. And then what do we do? Then we're worse off than we were before. Except if we read the stories and accept, if we take those little bits, those kernels of wisdom out of there that tell us about what is the proper disposition that we should be having before we can even hope to find a mentor and then benefit from him or her. But come on there, you might be saying. Can you be more specific? All this general stuff. Well, I just put in into YouTube 
desiring to optimize my experience of the internet. And I said in Google, how do I find a mentor? And actually, a few really nice posts there. There's one on David Ramsey's blog. There's one on Jeff Goins's blog. That's one of the top ones. Read both of them. They're both really good. Uh, and John Simmons, of course, uh, hits the nail on the head. Right there, right ho. <laughs> Oops, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so what was I saying? I forgot. John Simmons, you threw me off. <laughs> oh, yeah. So... There are plenty of good lists. You should read those lists if you want specifically to find a specific kind of mentor in a specific kind of field. But filter that list through what I told you today, through the need to constantly educate yourself from a variety of sources, ancient and modern, allowing yourself to remain in the posture of disciple, not skeptic or analyst or critic or specialist or worse yet, expert oh god <laughs> and through that process continually work on the humility of being here love love that movie being there ever ever seen that movie it's a fantastic movie it's really deep as as odd as that scene is with liza minnelli is liza minnelli is that who it is god what a bizarre scene one yeah didn't like that but when you know in the end when he walks on the water it's like yeah right of course the simplicity of just being there it's a beautiful thing that being said, I will give you some more specific information on how to find a mentor, whether it is mentorship of those who wrote books way back when, or the mentorship of somebody right now. I will be specific. I will give you actual things to look at, but not today. Oh, I'm so cruel. This coming Monday, I'm sending out the first email in a seven-week series that's going to be connected to these live videos. Uh, where I'm going to be curating information about these topics. So this Monday, I'm going to be giving you a whole bunch of interesting um, information about finding a mentor, about what to read, who to listen to, how, where, and why. Not my own thoughts, but the thoughts of people who are far more intelligent than I am. So if that's something that's interesting to you, I have a link for you. Please go to nicholaskotar.com forward slash resilience which is a special sign-up link to be included in this email series, which is going to last for seven weeks. And um, yeah, go ahead and, and click there and join. Um, it, this, I've already had several hundred people join, so it's going to be a lot of fun. In any case, sign up uh, and uh, come and join us for this long and fun journey that we're going to be taking. It's going to take us through the election. So my hope is to actually provide you with comfort and consolation through the process that is inevitably going to be painful and awful no matter where you are no matter who you are no matter who you believe in uh, so now's the time sign up and you, uh, my first email on monday will include plenty of recommendations of what to read and whom to follow and thanks for being here today um next week at 5 p.m eastern time is going to be my next live video and we will be talking about step two in the seven step series that I've taken out of Aragorn's life, and that is seek solitude. But you'll have to find out exactly why next week, which is when hopefully I'll see all of you next week at 5 p.m. Thanks so much for showing up for video one of Resilience and Courage Through Story, a seven-week series for writers, readers, and culture creators. I'll see you next week, and if you want to get more information about this and be first to hear about all uh, updates and things like this and to get fun and free stuff go ahead and join at nicholas forward slash 
nicholaskotar.com forward slash resilience. And that's it for me today. It's been a long and very rewarding week. I hope you have had a similar one, and I hope you have time now to go outside and enjoy the falling leaves and uh, to meditate on the fact that it need not be us that are the withered leaves that fall, which happens to those who don't look for mentors, but uh, we can be the ones that are strong by seeking counsel from others. So that's the thought I wanted to leave you all with, uh, and I will see you all next week. Bye-bye, everybody. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard and you'd like to delve more deeply into this topic, check out my audio series on stories that unite in dark times, available exclusively at nicholaskotar.com forward slash stories that unite. And if you're hankering for more fantasy stories, check out my own Raven Sun epic fantasy series inspired by Russian fairy tales, available now in audio, paperback, and ebook formats. This show is produced by the wonderful Derek Cummins, and the beautiful title music is Lighthouse in the Rain, originally composed by Velislava Franta. You can find her work on SoundCloud.